dive into the interview a little bit. So first okay. of all, um, let's talk a little bit about your background and what took you down the entrepreneurial path. Uh, great. I'd be happy to tell you about it. So I, I'll start briefly with the three major factors that led me to Foodfully. So I went to undergrad at a university called the University of Notre Dame in Indiana. And while I was there, <laughs> it, was, it was a really um, highly regarded business undergraduate school. And I had a lot of friends who did business as undergrads and I would see their classes and I would see that they would be trying to like develop products and I would occasionally like casually get involved and think to myself like this is kind of fun. Maybe at one point I should think about doing this at some, just tangential to being a scientist. And that was as far as it went at that time, but I was grateful to be kind of exposed to it and exposed to the way that uh, like young adults are thought are, are taught to think about it. And then I did a year of service on, so I was a Jesuit volunteer on an urban farm that was exclusively staffed by homeless individuals, many of whom were struggling with addiction or mental illness. And I did that in St. Louis and we would sell our produce and we would also sell value added products. So we would take herbs from the farm and steep them in olive oil, or we would create our own cards out of flowers that we would press and do stuff with. And so one of the goals of the person who manages or helps manage the program is to not only develop therapeutic activities for the, for the clients to work on, but also to try to make a little money. And so it, it was actually part of my job to try to create new value added products to make money. And that was a really, that, that was like a very small part of my role, but it was kind of an exciting part of my role. And I kept recognizing that like, Hey, I kind of like to do this. And by the time I got to grad school, so I went to grad school at UC Davis, I was, um, I'm a plant pathologist. So I was working on a, a graduate degree in plant pathology. And as I was working on it, a competition for a food or agricultural idea um, kind of came up in one of my many, um, I guess you could say like, just like subscribe. I'm, I'm just subscribed to a lot of different like listservs on campus. And that came up one day and I thought to myself, you know, I've kind of had a fun time with this. Maybe I should give that a go. And I had a few ideas and I ran them past some friends of mine. And it seemed like one of them was a decent enough idea to enter with and that idea was foodfully so so yeah so just a little bit of experience casually with entrepreneurship and finally the right opportunity at the right time led me to do foodfully very cool was that program at uc davis was that one of the venture catalyst programs uh, like big bang it wasn't actually it was and i don't believe that this prize exists any longer it was called the agricultural innovation prize and it was sponsored by the buffett family like warren buffett's family and oh, wow. it was held at the University of Wisconsin. And it was for, and it was, it was an unusually aggressive competition because they gave away 200 and, uh, roughly $200,000, I believe, in prize money. But there were only about 20 competitors. So that, that was just like a very high, <laughs> if you won, you won really big. Because um, they only gave away five prizes. But you also had a pretty decent likelihood of winning if you were selected to be a finalist. And additionally, mm -hmm. in addition to like the large purse size, they also required you to incorporate if you made it to the semifinals or the finals. And we did. So that kind of really accelerated foodfully in the beginning because we had a legal entity from the very beginning, which a lot of people don't have. And there are pros and cons yeah. to starting a company at the very beginning of your idea before you even have a prototype. And I'd be happy to talk about those, but we, we did have to start a company and that made it very real for us when we weren't necessarily anticipating that it would be. So. Mm -hmm. So why don't you tell people who don't know what Foodfully is? What's the, the brief pitch about 
what Foodfully is, what problem it's solving, uh, what you're addressing. Sure. So Foodfully, at Foodfully, we build software and hardware to eliminate household food waste. So American consumers throw away 25% of what they buy of any food from farmer's market from a grocery store. And it's mostly because they either forgot about what food items they had or they're not really sure how to cook something they know they have. So what Foodfully does is we link with your loyalty card so we can track your purchases automatically. We send you notifications before your food may go bad so you don't forget about it. And we connect you with cooking tips, recipes, and the location of a nearby food bank so you know how to either cook or donate your item. Very cool. And so when did this, did this start with that um, program you were just talking about? When was that? So that program uh, was announced in late 2013 for 2014, and we entered it in 2014. But the way the idea for Foodfully came to me and the reason why it struck me at like just the right time was that I was doing my master's degree on a, so I'm a plant pathologist, so I study diseases of plants, and I was working, um, I was working on a fungal disease of wine grapes. And our goal in the experiment was to reduce the amount of this fungus in the field while using fewer fungicide applications. And the way we were going to do that was to more precisely apply the fungicides based on weather conditions so that we would kind of strike out the fungus more, uh, more efficiently, I guess, throughout the season. And so that involves a lot of searching for the fungus at different times. It involves putting up a lot of weather stations and monitoring them. It involves a lot of careful, coordinated work with a lot of different PCAs, pest control advisors, with a lot of folks who work in vineyards. And it, it ended up being a really big team effort. So it was me and like at least 10 other people who would be out in the field observing everything. And I had just come back from like a 12 hour day once and after trying like so hard to reduce this fungus on grapes and there are wine grapes so we would be making these wine grapes like five percent less covered in fungus so we would make like a marginally better wine and I came home and my roommates had left a bottle of wine open on the counter and it just made me realize that no matter how hard we all work at the production end there will still be these terrible habits that some of us have that most of us have frankly and they're just hard to root out and so if we can start there as well and work maybe towards the middle of making agriculture more efficient and also making how we eat food more efficient maybe we can end up with a much better food system so that's where it started so the idea was kind of the, the idea kind of hit you as an intersection between you were working all day on this this other problem and you come home and you see this other problem and like the, the two collided and basically gave you the idea it sounds like yeah exactly oh cool <laughs> cool aha moment yes um, indeed. So, <laughs> so how has the development gone what did you do to validate the a market uh, for this for foodfully these are all really good questions that for us were actually a little different because we our development cycle was kind of different from our validation cycle. In the beginning, when we didn't really have that much funding, we validated um, with a variety of surveys, with talking to our friends, um, with talking to people involved in the food waste world to see where the gaps were, because we wanted to make sure that not only did we have a market, but we had a fairly open market at the time. And we noticed that in our quest to reduce food waste, there weren't that many household-based solutions. Um, so we knew we wanted to start there for better or for worse, because as you know, consumers are kind of a hard market to crack. Um, but, but effectively, through using, through using a variety of different surveys, through talking to people, and through doing a lot of market research of what had a, a market already built and what didn't, we kind of arrived at the fact that a software-based solution with hardware that we would eventually introduce um, would be where we'd want to start going directly to consumers and then maybe scaling up to work in commercial kitchens or in 
kitchens or break rooms in large corporations or kind of um, a middle ground that doesn't ever really get a solution. So, mm -hmm. so we, so, I mean, just your generic, like we had, we partnered with the UC Davis, um, like some MBA students there who were working on a project and they did a whole like 200 page write up on the markets for us, which was really wonderful. They did that like in conjunction in, as a project, they were awesome. We did our own market research and then obviously just like talking to people whenever we could. But our development was unfortunately, we didn't, we didn't ever validate our market by like releasing a really early bad version of the app and seeing if anybody would use it because we, um, and I'm happy to talk about this later, but we started using a brand new coding framework for our app. And that brand new coding framework didn't have as many people who were super experienced in it as we were hoping for. And so it took us a little longer than we had expected to get the app out. And by the time we had wanted to release kind of a rough version to see how people would react to it, it had already, several months had already elapsed and we were already kind of most of the way there to a full app. So we decided to just keep pushing. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is we never brought a really rough version of our app out before we had sunk all the cost into making the first version. And I would definitely recommend that people do that. You didn't do the standard MVP minimum viable product out there and, and get the reaction. You developed kind of a more fully developed product. Exactly. Our, our MVP was our is our first product. Like we, we our MVP, like we beta tested several times over several months over the course of this year, but we never like released that out publicly. So, so I mean, we did do some beta testing. I would just encourage people to use an even rougher version than what we used for beta testing because um, we, it took us probably months longer than it would have taken a person who just took, made a really rough version, kicked it out there, saw what people liked, and then improved from there. Mm -hmm. We had a pretty realized version that we sent out to people. And when people started having uh, questions or concerns, it would have, yeah, there, we would have had to make some major edits, which we did to accommodate their desires. Yeah, so that's pretty much standard advice is get something out there earlier than, than many people think they need to. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. So you didn't, you, it sounds like you didn't really have any competitors. There, you didn't really find much in, in the consumer market uh, when you were developing. Is that right? That's right. So of the people that I can even name right now, I know that there's one company working on a small piece of hardware to help reduce household food waste. And there are a number of smart kitchen appliance companies that have popped up that make like smart kitchen mats that go underneath your plate and measure how fast you're eating. And if there's any food left on the plate and if you should have built your portions differently or they make smart trash cans that can measure when you throw away um, fruits or vegetables and there are smart compost bins <laughs> that can measure like when you're throwing away fruits and vegetables and what their makeup is and how they could etc etc but none of those have a software component yet and all of those are kind of like correcting a behavior that's already occurred and so we knew that we yeah. wanted to step in before the triggering behavior has happened and prevent that whole line of actions that would take you to throw away your food and that is so that's what led us to making sure that we reminded people their food was there so they didn't double buy something or th so that they didn't like go out to eat when they really had plenty of food at home, um, <laughs> as well as showing them how to cook their foods. Because for some people, if you have a whole bunch of cilantro left and you already made your salsa for the week, you have no idea what else to use that for. Like you don't commonly use cilantro. So right. showing people how to freeze things or make salsa is a big part of what we want to do in our app. So yes, so there are cool. definitely competitors in the food waste world, but not exactly operating in the same spot especially in a household that we are. 
Yeah, and I you, I saw you pitch at One Million Cups a couple of weeks ago, and you mentioned that some of the big, like, appliance makers are maybe incorporating this, some of the same ideas into their products and their fridges, but that's, like, a major appliance purchase versus what, what you've got. Right, exactly. And we definitely design Foodfully for people of kind of my era, I guess you could, I mean, I'm a millennial, I suppose, if you wanted to loosely define that. And millennials, as you probably know, um, have like less purchasing power at our age relative to our parents. And we certainly aren't buying our own homes and certainly not buying our own fridges to put into the places we rent. So, so we, we are not necessarily going to be the first adopters of a smart fridge, though, in some cases, millennials are big wasters. So I definitely uh-huh. want to appeal to them. Yeah. So what stage are is Foodfully at as far as your development, your funding, your growth? Great questions. So right now we've launched our public app product and we have a prototype of a small piece of hardware that we are actively pursuing um, the further development of. So I guess you could say that we're in a nice spot in terms of growth where we're hoping to um, increase our consumer user base of our app over the next few months. And we're hoping to bring in um, some more. So the way that Foodfully monetizes currently is we have sponsored recipes inside the app. And we also have for you to sign up for like affiliate programs. So you can sign up for a meal delivery kit if you'd like to try one through Foodfully. Or you can sign up for... Um, like a like like a box that can deliver you new cooking supplies every month, like things like that. Mm-hmm. With existing businesses that send things like that, and you can sign up for them through Foodfully. So we're working on introducing more and more of those into the app while still making it a very highly usable experience. So improving the monetization right now. Um, but what we basically so far through funding, we've raised about sixty k, which we have spent almost all of to build the app, pay the folks on our team for their time and pay for all the necessary fees that come along with running a business. And so I guess, yeah, now we're just looking to make sure that our app can bring in some revenue, that we can bring in more um, consumer customers, and then scaling up and actively pursuing our hardware is next. Mm-hmm. Are you looking to get into any kind of accelerators or, or incubator programs? So we have been very fortunate to have been involved with incubator for programs from nearly the very beginning of Foodfully. We've been incubated by Davis Roots since um, late 2014. And so Davis Roots is a small incubator in, in Davis. We've also been involved with the wonderful folks on campus at, in the UC Davis um, GSM. And we've also been incubated by um, an incubator, one incubator that no longer exists that was a part of a, a legal firm in the Bay and a, a large incubator called Plug and Play. And they, they, t- they have like six different verticals and they incubate like 35 companies Two, with two classes a year in each of those verticals. So we just got done with an incubation period there. So effectively, we've had a lot of different experiences with a lot of different types of incubators, and we know what we're looking for right now. And what we're looking for is always advice, <laughs> especially on the hardware front, and further funding. And so whenever we find an, an accelerator or an incubator that lines up with those goals, so really good advice from a lot of people you know, on the ground or any amount of money that's not necessarily a huge amount of equity, we would we'd be interested in that and we're planning to take it. So we are applying to some incubators that offer those options. Okay, cool. So, so you mentioned some of those incubators. Are, some, are those some of the big wins or milestones that you consider you've had so far? 
Those are great questions. So our, our greatest milestones, I would say, were releasing the app on November 19th. That was our first version. And then we released our second version yesterday, December 22nd. We're on a roughly a month-long release cycle um, for new features or, or just, yeah, any new feature that someone asked for. So those were, that was our biggest milestone, I would say. But other great milestones were the first amount of money that we won from the UC Davis Seed Fund in June of 2014. Um, that was a really big high point, as well as we won some money in 2015. That was really exciting. And getting into the plug and play incubator and getting into Davis Roots so those were our biggest high points, I would say, for sure. We were also featured awesome. in, um, in uh, you know, the, the magazine Fast Company. They have a, oh, yeah. yeah, they've had a publication called Fast Coexist, and we were featured there. Uh -huh. And we think our number of beta testers doubled overnight because of that. Oh, wow. What, yeah, when that was, was that? Awesome. When, what you know when that was? When was that published? Because yeah, that was in that November of 2015, I believe. And that was because we were at, I think the, we were at, um, pardon me while I try to remember this. Also, I, excuse, you know, excuse me for one second. Um, okay. Pardon me. There was something, there's a phone going off in, in my house and it, it had been going off multiple times. I just want to make sure it wasn't an emergency. Um, so we were asked to table at TechCrunch Disrupt, which is a large like startup launching wow. event in the Bay. And we were asked to do that because I gave a pitch at the acceptance ceremony for the Big Bang competition in 2015. And there was a reporter from TechCrunch there. And so she asked me if I wanted a free table. And I said, yes, and we got the table. And then we met a reporter from Fasco Exist. And so <laughs> that was exciting. Um, and we had also been, we were also going to another, uh, I think actually she might've noticed us from a, another clean energy conference at around the same time that we were a part of. That might've actually been the conference where we met, but, um, or were introduced, I suppose. And so basically we just, a lot of opportunities flowed from one single pitch for the UC Davis Big Bang competition, and it led us to several conferences later in the year that we also got a lot of really nice press from. So that was awesome. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, the only uh -oh. issue with it was that we weren't quite ready for it yet because our product wasn't out. I, I wish we could have been a little more ready for it, but that's okay. Yeah, you can't take your time again. Yeah, you sure can't. <laughs> so what's what's next? Um, what do you need? What does Foodfully need to grow and take it to the next level? Great question. So right now, we can see that our existing efforts in marketing, in blogging, in developing original design content, and developing original video content, especially with regard to recipes, we know that all of that is working. We just need further funding to make more of it. And we know, and by, I mean, it's working. I mean, we are attracting more users to the app, and we are retaining them with the more content that we originate. And so, so it's content marketing you're doing, right? What's that? You're doing content marketing to try to get more users? We at the moment we are, yes. And yeah. our our content is also like informational for our users because a key part of so I don't know if you're familiar, pardon me for like the brief non sequitur, but there's a there's an organization called Refed. They're active in the Bay and they're a consortium of a variety of different nonprofits and for-profit entities that all in one way or another work on food waste. And they put together a large study that tried to estimate the dollars worth of savings for every dollar spent on some tactic in reducing food waste. And the two most effective um, ways to reduce food waste per dollar 
were changing date labeling on products so people didn't get confused by the language and teaching mm -hmm. consumers more about food waste. And so per dollar, that means that Foodfully Solution, because we are actively trying to teach consumers about food waste in our app, is one of the most effective things that we can do to reduce food waste overall. And so finding foundations or finding entities that are really behind that message and seeking out funding from them or partnerships from them. Um, and then the ability to continue to create that content that informs users more about how food waste happens, where your food comes from, what what your food is, like what's inside of your food, what goes into it, how much water, how much fuel, um, continuing to teach people about that um, with that funding um, from like-minded organizations is, is kind of what's next for us. So kind of raising a full okay. sound with some participation from agencies that are interested in reducing the problem of food waste, like whether that's a mission-focused small angel network or a small VC group that's interested in food and ag, or whether that's a foundation that has some funding for it. Very cool. I mean, this sounds like some awesome stuff that I'm sure lots of us here in the area are really looking forward to. Mm -hmm. So what are some key lessons learned so far in this uh, journey that you've taken with, with Foodfully? Oh, gosh, so many. So I, so I guess I would say I have four key, like, pithy aphorisms I would tell someone, which is, and this was something told to me at the very beginning by an individual who has founded a successful company um, a successful venture-funded company. And he said to me, the highs always feel higher than they are and the lows always feel lower than they are. And so <laughs> that like, that it, running a startup is a subjective and an objective journey and, <laughs> and that the subjective part is always going to feel a little harder. So that was always yeah. really key for me to remember whenever something really great would happen, I would, I would kind of temper it by knowing like there are going to be hard times ahead, so enjoy this, but don't forget that you have to keep working. <laughs> um, right difficult time I would always remind myself that like better things have happened if we keep going we will realize this vision we'll bring the product and some like we will accomplish at least some of our goals if we keep going um, the second thing I would say is something I've already said but it bears repeating which is validate early in whichever way you can there are a lot of really excellent prototyping technologies um, that I'd be happy to kind of list or send you in a list one of them that I can think of right off the top of my head is Envision but there are a number of other um, like companies that have built um, wrap so they'll they'll give you like a google doc or like a google spreadsheet and you can enter a bunch of information in it and then they'll turn that into an app interface it's kind of rough looking and then someone can sit at your computer and kind of play with it or tell you what they like and don't like about it and it's a really really quick way to prototype what your app might look like and how people might interact with it because they can point and click and like move cells around and that's that's a really nice way to try to validate an app early any other things like so we have a piece of hardware that I haven't talked too much about, but our hardware is basically a smart uh, light bulb that would go in your fridge. It can just like screw into the same spot that your light bulb fridge is in, and, or your fridge light bulb is in, sorry. And it would measure temperature, humidity, light, a couple other factors to try to determine when food in your house is going to go bad, rather than us just kind of estimating based on where you live and what time of year it is, and just like sending you mm -hmm. notifications based on that. Or just based on, right now it's based on even looser, commentary just like general ranges when food goes bad so um so effectively we would we would be able to build a gadget that would be connected to your food specifically and mm -hmm. what a way you can prototype that early even is you can um so making a really good kickstarter video costs upwards of like fifteen thousand dollars but what you can do is set up a website and place a page for pre-orders of your piece of hardware and see if people are interested in ordering it 
um, and just like drive a little traffic there organically, do a little basic SEO and um, see if people even enjoy it. So there, there are ways to even validate a, a hardware idea that are really quick. Mm. And um, so the third thing I would say is use the simplest and easiest technologies to start to prototype your work. As I mentioned earlier, um, it's, it's, it's not only important to validate early, which we tried to do, but we used complicated technology to do our validation. Um, so our app was written in something that was kind of a brand new series of packages from JavaScript. And that meant that not a whole ton of people were super experienced with it and that we had to kind of look really hard to find our team members or that we had to teach really experienced individuals how to use this and maybe their experience would have been better used on the things they had experience with. So, so making sure that you don't squander your, um, make, just making sure that your innovation lies in what your product does and not all the background work that it took to make the very first version of your product is important. Mm -hmm. um, and then I guess the fourth thing I would say is think very carefully about whom you want to hire. Um, there's a really great book called Who that I read, which was kind of instructive um, on what it means to not just go into an interview blind and like looking for like a perfect fit. It, it teaches you kind of how to develop the questions and how to develop the format to make sure that you, that all of your um, possible questions about a candidate get answered and that you just don't go into it kind of blind. Um, but it's just, it's really important, especially when you're a young company, especially when um, there's a lot of uncertainty in how much you can pay individuals or how long positions are open for. Um, it's really, you got to be really frank. You've got to be really honest. Um, and you've, you've also got to be really um, kind of accepting of where people's limitations lie. I mean, right now, everyone at Foodfully has another part-time job, at least, if not a full, a lot of people in Foodfully are PhD students or candidates. So, so we're not only recognizing that you have high expectations of everyone on your team, but also recognizing that to survive, we all have other, <laughs> other obligations this is very important. So just think very carefully and be very honest about how you're doing your hiring. Cool. Is my last Good one. Tips. Yeah. No problem. So switching gears, I always like to uh, kind of switch gears at the end of the interview to kind of get people feedback on from their feedback about the startup community here in the Sacramento area. I know Davis, you're in Davis, which is you know, a little bit removed from, from Sacramento, but what's your feel about the, the, the state of entrepreneurship here and maybe uh, especially from a female perspective, uh, female founders? Sure, I'd be happy to share. So when I first started coming up in the area, um, there was some, the, the, the landscape for startup assistance looked a little different. Sardo was active then. And now Sarda mm -hmm. still lives on, but in its individual verticals, kind of dispersed throughout the area. <laughs> but at the time, it was kind of a centralized entity that was really high contact and really, really wonderful. Um, I had I met with the SAC Angels. Um, I knew the folks at Velocity Venture Capital, um, which has since been renamed, I believe. And yeah. I, yeah, Impact Venture Capital, I believe, is what they're called now. And I knew the folks over at Valley Vision. And only some of those entities still look the same. Um, I was really grateful for all of their, all of those entities are extremely encouraging, at, at least they were. Um, and they were all um, like very, very interested and invested in the success of everyone that they met. And that was really wonderful to feel and be around. Um, in terms of like the, the gap between 
going to one of these entities and getting lots of really great advice and then getting just enough money to make your product good enough to go to one of the local angel groups. Like that step was missing in my perspective for, for me. I don't know if it was mm-hmm. missing for lots of other people. It may not have been. Um, but there's, there's always kind of a spot where there's so many wonderful incubator resources for brand new entrepreneurs who have tons of questions. But then when it comes to like, I've isolated my market, I have this semi done prototype. I'm, I'm realizing that I may not have the type of runway that I need. I may need like 50 K in some way or another to make it to a full product so that I could go in front of angels. Like how can I accomplish that part? That part is just, I think that's a, that's kind of interesting and hard to find in many environments. And it was a little more difficult. Yeah. It was a little difficult for us to find. Thankfully we we did get some follow on funding from one of our incubators in Davis. So that was awesome. But um, yeah. And, and again, Sacramento wasn't like my main startup scene. I was definitely focused on, on being in Davis and then we were a part of an incubator in the Bay. So we were kind of bouncing between the two, but I will say that, I mean, the folks there are really wonderful and really invested in you. And I I was connected through Sarda to a number of people with experience in the grocery industry or in the food or ag tech industry. And that was fantastic to get advice from them early. Cool. Cool. So um, anything else you'd like to share with, with uh, the Sacramento startup community? Um, so I would say, oh, the only other things I want to say, I guess, are it's, it's pretty low cost to get started in the Sacramento area, and there are really great legal resources in the Sacramento area. So <laughs> those, those two things are really attractive for folks who might want to think about starting stuff, especially um, scientists coming out of UC Davis. Because I know, mm-hmm. I, I personally know from even my department where I was working at UC Davis, I did have one other person start a company and he was incubated immediately in the Bay. And so mm-hmm. trying to find and determine how those resources, how, where he could have found those resources in Sacramento or how we can build the capacity to host those resources because he had a, a biotech solution for ag and there wasn't the mm-hmm. necessary like lab-based type of incubator in the Sacramento area for him to go to. So seeing if we mm-hmm. can either build that into UC Davis with a collaboration with someone with some group from Sacramento or just there there is certainly um, some types of capacity that like Sacramento doesn't necessarily have that might require long-term investment to build to keep certain entrepreneurs from UC Davis in the area is the only thing I can think of. I did notice that you said um, what can we do here to improve the rate of female entrepreneurship and I, I guess I just like to kind of point out this disconnect I've noticed in several interviews and surveys I've read assessing the state of like female presence in the development teams for large corporations or female entrepreneurship presence. And Mm -hmm. I think that, I think that it kind of notes that on the whole, um, I've, I've seen several articles that I can try to cite and send you (laughs) that basically say that a lot of men seem to think that there are not enough women entering the pipeline, even from a young age, like Mm -hmm. there aren't that many women starting to code. There aren't that many women really interested in business, et cetera, et cetera. And then from a, from a woman's perspective, a lot of them do agree that that is an issue, but a lot of them also say that for the women who exist already, who are coding, who are trying to develop their own businesses, there aren't that many follow-on resources for them, or they don't necessarily mm. put in the same doors. And so there does seem to be this, like, this disconnect between how can we improve the pipeline? Everyone acknowledges that's important, but we also, but like women especially want to be heard that we are here, at least some of us are here. And we may not make up more than 20% of the room, but we're still here. And it would be great to um, see more of us who are mentors, to see more of us who are investors, 
Um, I've definitely been to meetings of angel groups that have had no women except for me in the room, and it would be really cool to cultivate um, like something like a Golden Seeds, which is a New York City-based um, female-only investment group. It would be really cool to try to cultivate one of those in Sacramento or a female-only um, advice area, um, or just making sure that there are different female... Um, What's that? It's funny you say that because we actually have one planned here. I don't know if you're aware of it. There, there was well, a Sacramento grant. So it's a project that started in LA, and a woman named Nancy Perlman started a project called the Elevate Project, and she okay. won a grant to bring that to Sacramento. So, uh, do you know who Tracy Seville is? I don't know who Tracy she's Seville a, is. She's a female founder here in Sacramento, and she's going to be spearheading that project here in Sacramento. She basically cultivate some female uh, mentors um, here in the area to kind of do what you were exactly what you were saying. So it's 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 probably just going to be starting up in 2017 and maybe January, February. So look, um, stay tuned on that. I think we'll see some good stuff coming out of that. Awesome, that's really great to hear. I know that um, I know that there were some really great individuals. I can't recall her last name at the moment, but there is. Um, I think it's in Placer County. There was a startup founder named Kate, and she does um, like Kate Dyer, probably. Kate, Kate Dyer, yeah. Kate, it was Kate Dyer, yeah. She does the tissue and biomedical work for people who are in need of that for research. Yeah, she um, she had started kind of a circle for for um, for startup founders, but I think it it was kind of a smaller, more informal thing. So it's really cool to hear that there is kind of a formal project coming to Sacramento. And I will definitely check that out. Thank you for mentioning that. Yeah. 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 Um, okay, cool. So thanks for that. I mean, so yeah, we, there's a lot of interest here in, in I'm sure elsewhere too, in, in, in opening things up and making things more equitable and, and fair ground for female entrepreneurs. So I think we've got some good projects coming. And there's another one I've heard about coming too that I, I don't think I can even mention yet, but um, I think 2017 is going to be a good year for that. Awesome. I'm really excited for that. Yeah. I'm also, you know, really excited to hopefully see the advent of things like like paid maternal and paternal leave and other policies that would make founding a startup or taking a few more risks I'm in your 30s when you have a lot of experience, but also maybe want to care for your family I'm a little more feasible. So We'll, we'll hopefully mm -hmm. you know, hope for those types of policy changes that make things like this a little more um, yeah. kind of feasible. Anyway, well, okay, I know I'm, I'm talking your ear off here, but thank you so much for the opportunity to chat today. I really appreciate it. Oh, sure. No, thank you. Thanks for taking the time from your holiday break and uh, really appreciate it. And any, any last words of advice? Um, just, you know, <laughs> they're going to be hard days. Keep it up, everybody. <laughs> just keep trying, but also know when to hold them and know when to fold them. There are times when you receive <laughs> enough indications that you've either got to pivot or maybe step away. And, um, it's, it's really important to try to figure out, you know, what, what is a hard time and what is a permanent hard time. So, and I don't have the, I don't have the answers for that necessarily, but, but the development of that skill is really important for, for startup founders. Mm -hmm. So. So just keep your wits about you, everybody. <laughs> All right. Well, so much for the time, best of luck for you and Foodfully, and we'll be Thanks. looking forward to great things. Awesome. Thank you so much. You have a great day. Great. Thank you, too. Bye-bye.